It's the end of the year. Got any resolutions taken? Do I have to make them now or can I wait till the first to make uh, them? I mean, you can change them. I mean, you know, that's the benefit of resolutions. You change them a weekend, but anything you're thinking about or, or you got nothing right now? Feeling pretty good about things, but I say for our listeners, I'm going to resolve to put together the best set of trial balloon episodes we can in 2024. Wow. Big year. Big okay. political year, Chris. Yeah, it will be. It will be a big political year. Might want to give the resolutions thing a little more thought, but that's a good start. I don't, I don't know. Ask the listeners. I think they'd appreciate better <laughs> podcasts. You want to risk asking the, the listeners? There it is. Listeners, oh, if you have resolutions for Tegan, bring them in, please. He just asked. Oh. Oh, they won't be shy. They're going to come pouring in. They will not be shy. My request will be for any questions for the mailbag. We'll have a mailbag episode in the next couple of weeks. Send in a note to Tegan via Political Wire. Email me by simply replying to any day's newsletter. We're also going to do an episode where we look back at 2023 and look ahead to, as you just said, a very big political year. 2024. But for the moment, for our last podcast of 2023, why don't we start by talking about Lauren Boebert? Okay, let's do that. I mean, does anything say 2023 politics more than starting our final podcast of the year with her? Lauren Boebert announced Wednesday night that she is ditching her re-election bid next year in Colorado's third congressional district to run instead in the state's fourth congressional district, which is on the other side of the state and is far more favorable to Republicans, the Colorado Sun reports. This is your post from Political Wire. The third district leans nine percentage points in Republicans' favor, while the fourth district leads 27 points toward the GOP. Said Bobert in a Facebook video, quote, I did not arrive at this decision easily. A lot of prayer, a lot of tough conversations, and a lot of perspective convinced me that this is the best way I can continue to fight for Colorado, for the conservative movement, and for my children's future. So my question that I will ignore is how much do you actually believe that quote? And the questions that I think we really ought to explore are, one, was she going to lose Colorado's third district? And can she win Colorado's fourth? Certainly good questions. I think she was most likely going to lose. I mean, you can look at the immediate rating change that the Cook Political Report has done on the race. This race in Colorado's third district is now rated lean Republican, even though it only leans about nine percentage points Republican. The reason it was a toss-up up until this point is entirely due to Lauren Boebert and the scandals and the baggage that she brings to the race. She was either going to get beat in a Republican primary, it seems, all of a sudden out of nowhere. She had competition she didn't think she had. Or in the general election where her Democratic opponent, who was the same person who ran against her two years ago, has outraised her by a huge margin. Adam Frisch is his name. He's got, I think, pushing $8 million in his war chest at this point. So he may be the big beneficiary because in a district that is definitely leaning Republican, the Democrat has raised an awful lot of money because he thought his opponent was going to be Lauren Boebert. And Frisch lost by, what was it, like 19 votes or something like that yeah, in the last- it was a little. Uh, a little over 500, like 536 votes. But yeah, narrow, narrow margin. And can she win Colorado's fourth? So Colorado's fourth is represented right now by Ken Buck. He is stepping down, correct? 
he has decided to not run for re-election. The interesting thing is that these two districts are not at all alike. Lauren Boebert represents a district in the Rocky Mountains. She represents Aspen, and she is now moving to a district on the eastern side of the state, which is really just the plains and farmland. It couldn't be a more different district in terms of what their needs are. This is a bet by Boebert that national name recognition means something and that all politics is not necessarily local, that she can pick up, move completely across the state and still have a chance to win in that district. Of course, what she's going to find, even though that district is heavily Republican and almost certainly going to be represented by a Republican, there's already six Republicans running in the race to succeed Ken Buck. And you say the word move, and I know you know this, she does not have to physically move. You only have to live in the state in which the district sits. This affected some of the New York representatives in New York districts one campaign ago in 2022, where people were able to run for various districts where they didn't live. Now it's happening here. Of the six who are running in the fourth district, are there any strong local Thai people who have those local connections? I fully assume that at least one person running will run against the carpetbagger. Is there someone with a local tie who seems like a potential favorite? No, with this news just breaking, I don't know enough at this point. I haven't had enough time to look at that race in terms of the specifics, but the math tells you something. I think Lauren Boebert's best chance is that there are six Republicans running. If she can be the seventh and she can put her name into a seven-person Republican primary, she might have a chance. National name recognition might actually do something for her in that district. So while some people think there's a grind fighting six other people who are actually from that district, it actually may be helpful to her in this case because she won't need to win a majority of the vote in order to advance to the next round. Okay. Any word on whether they have live theater halls in the 4th District of Colorado? Or is that only in the 3rd District? <laughs> Preferably with Beetlejuice playing, right? You know, the scandals that have followed Lauren Boebert, it really reminds me of another Republican lawmaker who faced a similar circumstance two years ago. It was Madison Cawthorn. You remember him, Chris? Have not thought about him for one moment since that election. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. Well, Madison Cawthorn found himself in a similar situation, except there was a redistricting, and he realized that he was going to have a very hard time winning his current district. So he decided to run for re-election in another district. And then he had the proverbial rug pulled out from under him when the districts snapped back. And so Madison Cawthorn had to run for re-election in the district he had already abandoned. And so he was not only portrayed as a carpetbagger, even when he wasn't, but the full weight of all those scandals came tumbling back on top of him. So Lauren Boeber has a similar situation that she's facing, except that she's choosing to move districts. She thinks it's her best shot. The Cook Political Report, for instance, has not, at least as of this recording, has not put a rating on that seat other than almost certainly it's going to stay in Republican hands just because it is so far to the right. You know, Ken Buck, who is retiring and who his actions were actually continued as a far right Republican, but he at least talked a more moderate game occasionally. You know, he was one of the most extreme Republicans when he was first elected to the House. Now he seems, you know, with people like Lauren Boebert, you know, running in his district, it seems like Ken Buck is just from another time. 
And it's also interesting how this will put another district in the mix of ones to watch. I mean, I guess it's a little bit different. It still will be Republican. A Democrat, it does not seem, is going to win this district. So it becomes one to watch in addition to Colorado's third district. Well, yeah, Lauren Boebert obviously is going to attract attention. She was one of the handful of Republican lawmakers who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy from his speaker's chair. She used to be great buddies with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now they're brutal enemies, apparently, with Marjorie Taylor Greene calling her a bitch regularly to reporters. And then, of course, there's the scandals, which we don't need to recount here, but they follow her as well. She's proven herself to not be the greatest of politicians. I think that it was very clear to her that she had a chance to lose in the Republican primary in the third district, and that if she actually made it through that primary, that she had a good chance of losing the general election. So I think she's probably correct in choosing her better path if she wants to stay in Congress. But like I said, it's taking a bet that all politics is not local anymore and that her national reputation, whatever you make of it, is actually helpful to her in being a carpetbagger and moving all the way across the state. Can we move to the pop quiz portion of today's conversation? So long as you don't ask me a hard question, Chris. Well, there is a hard one coming up, but let's start with the easy one. Do you know when the Iowa caucus is? And I'm actually kidding. This is a hard one. Do you know the date? I did not know the exact date. It is January 15th, Chris. It is January 15th. So it is only about two and a half weeks away. By the way, January 15th is Martin Luther King Day. The Iowa caucus is most often, it seems, on a Monday, but it's not always on a Monday. In 2012, it was on a Tuesday. And I've got to say, I found it surprising, to say the least, that they would hold it on a federal holiday and hold it on Martin Luther King Day. Anyhow, that was one pop quiz question. I feel bad putting you on the spot like this with the hard question. But Tegan, what caused the Civil War? (laughs) Now, as Nikki Haley said, that's a really tough question. What was so interesting about when she was asked that question, if you watch the video of that, it was really interesting. She kind of has this smile that's frozen on her face and she's trying to make some sense of it. As the question is being asked, she did an immediate 180 degree spin putting more distance between her and the questioner. It was kind of like, this is a hostile question that she was trapped, that she was in trouble here. And you can see the gears moving in her head. You can see her trying to decide to come up with an answer. And this is the answer that she gave. She said, I mean, I think the cause of the civil war was basically how government was going to run the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. Now, I've read that sentence about four times. I've watched her say that about four times. I'm still not really sure what it means, but she didn't mention that slavery was the cause of the Civil War. Yeah. Now, she, of course, since then has clarified and stated, well, of course, the Civil War was about slavery. She did correct herself the next day. This is the Nikki Haley rapid response team. 12 hours later, she had an answer to the question that was asked that for her, it was a hard question. Why couldn't she answer it? Why didn't she answer it? What was getting in her way? She was the one we know in South Carolina who was governor when they took the Confederate symbols off the flag. She did make moves. So why couldn't she answer the question? 
and she's Indian American herself. Nobody could really accuse her of being a Confederate sympathizer. So that's not it. But I think that it was interesting. It was certainly when you watch her and you watch how she reacted and what her body language was, it was a tough question. It was a much Why? tougher question than, than we thought, because I think that Republican voters, she was trying to figure out what she was supposed to say that would appeal to them. You know, here we are almost 160 years later after the Civil War. And unfortunately, for at least the Republican Party, the party of Lincoln, by the way, has a hard time with that question. And she was really worried what she was going to say. It's a fairly interesting thing because Donald Trump is kind of like the candidate who uses fear in his rhetoric. You can see the fear kind of enter her head. Oh my goodness, I'm going to say the wrong thing and it's going to cost me all of my momentum that I've built up over the last nine months. Isn't that Trump's superpower or one of them? He doesn't care what he says. And for Nikki Haley, she was trying to figure it out. Not what answer do I feel? What answer do I know? But what answer am I supposed to give? Definitionally, a politician. What's the answer I'm supposed to give as opposed to what's the answer that I actually feel? Except that she's proven herself to not be that skilled a politician because she was frozen by fear of saying the wrong thing. And that's something that, as you mentioned, Donald Trump wouldn't be. He wouldn't do that. Most candidates, when they get to this level, they've thought through these issues. They're not going to be frozen by fear. I think it was a devastating answer because of that. It obviously was devastating because she couldn't simply say and didn't simply say the fact, but it revealed exactly what doesn't play plays into Trump's arguments about any of the other Republican candidates. I mean, if she is the one who's supposed to be able to, at this point, give Trump the biggest run for his money, she just ran right into the argument of they're just all politicians. And it also ran against or cuts against the image that she has, to her credit, created for herself around abortion. She has been one of the only Republicans who has not been willing to talk down to the issue and talk about, you know, the bans that she's going to sign and the six-week ban and all that. You know, she has given a response to a really tough issue in the Republican Party that has a bit of nuance around it, certainly more nuance than many of the others than, say, DeSantis has given when he's willing to sign the six-week ban and, and that's it. And she had kind of, I believe, created a bit of space and opportunity for herself. And I think that this just really cuts against that and puts her into the camp of, oh, oh, I get it. Just another politician who has to figure out what she's supposed to say as opposed to what she actually believes. As we know, these Republicans have had a hard time running against Donald Trump because he is not afraid of saying anything. And when he says something that's probably boneheaded, he just doubles down on it. And that's his signature move. Nikki Haley is not that way. And it seems like the others are not that way. With one exception, there is one candidate who doesn't seem to be afraid of what to say, and that's Chris Christie. Yes. And so when you have a situation, take a look at the field right now, Chris. You've got Donald Trump, obviously, way out in front, according to the polls. Nikki Haley has just stalled all of her momentum with this. I can't imagine this is going to help her gain ground in Iowa, any of this controversy right now. Ron DeSantis, there was an epic piece in the last week in the New York Times about consultants to DeSantis saying that it's time to make the patient comfortable. 
the language of hospice care because the end of DeSantis's campaign is coming close. You've got Vivek Ramaswamy, who is pulling all of his advertisements, his television advertisements in Iowa and New Hampshire, just two plus weeks before the contest even began. That's not a good sign. And then, of course, there is someone else running, Chris, who I, I know you forgot, but Asa Hutchinson is still in this race. I did forget Asa. He hasn't made the debate stage in quite some time, but he is actually still running. But would you have guessed at the beginning of all this that the last person standing in this race might be Chris Christie? No, I would not have guessed that. And he continues to say he is not going anywhere. And now that I'm saying that, I really should have been able to guess that because I have felt, and I've said it a number of times, that I believe Chris Christie is running for the redemption of his soul. I do feel like he looked back at his responsibility and his role in Trump and what is happening to democracy. And I think that something of that nature is inspiring him. No, I would not have guessed it. Now that you've asked the question, yes, I should have guessed it. A question relatedly about Ramaswamy and the TV ads. So first of all, love the line, TV ads are for chumps. (laughs) (laughs) Says a guy who spent millions on TV ads. Yeah, I mean, come on. The Boebert quote that we talked about earlier on a lot of prayer, a lot of tough conversations, and a lot of perspective convinced her that that was the best way she could continue to fight for Colorado, the conservative movement, and for her children's future. Ramaswamy puts it more simply, TV ads are for chumps. To be fair to uh, Ramaswamy, he may have looked at his bank account because he's funding much of his own campaign. Maybe he's thinking of his children too, that he's <laughs> he's spending their money on TV ads that aren't working. Don't we all just think of our children? He must be thinking of his children. So if in the particular... We might not believe that Ramaswamy has divine motives for pulling advertising. It might be monetary. But is he right? Do TV ads work at this stage? Is there an alternative approach? The only way to truly answer that question is just what do the candidates do? They all seem to run the TV ads because that's where the eyeballs are. That's where the voters are spending their time. And they need to get their name out. Someone like Vivek Ramaswamy was completely unknown to the world just a year ago. And now some people know him. Only about 4% of the Republican voters in these early states seem to want to vote for him. But nonetheless, those TV ads probably helped him to some degree get name recognition. And I'm sure it's the case for the other candidates as well. There have been studies that have been done by political scientists that say that the TV ads aren't great for these local races. They're not as good as, you know, say, knocking on doors and things like that. But Ron DeSantis has had a huge door knocking campaign paid for by a super PAC, and that hasn't really worked. So door knocking is for chumps. I love the fact that Ramaswamy also called them idiotic. You know, again, like I said before, as someone who's just spent millions of dollars of his own money running TV ads, now they're idiotic. But he claims that you're going to see the biggest upset you've ever seen and that he's going to come out of nowhere and win the Iowa caucuses. So, Chris, we may have to eat our words, our criticism of Ramaswamy's tactics here. Well, that is his resolution. You have a number of resolutions coming, I am sure. Happy New Year, Tegan. Happy New Year, Chris, and to all of the Trial Balloon listeners. We love having you here. Yes, we do.